And I'm going to be speaking today on God's work of reconciliation. We're still in the book of Acts, and I'm still in Acts chapter 9, but I'd like to focus on uh, the ministry of the Apostle Peter today. The book of Acts continues in chapter 9 describing the growth of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 9, 31. Things then began to go peacefully in the churches throughout all of Judea and Samaria. The churches began to grow and multiply, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Peter began to travel throughout the regions round about. Uh, our last part of sharing in the Word of God from the book of Acts was, a, was about Paul being converted and so on and being given his ministry. And now they're bringing things back home. And things seem to be going well, growing, multiplying. So the Apostle Peter miraculously brings healing to a bedridden, paralysed man. And he then travels to Joppa and raises a woman named Dorcas from the dead. Peter stays on at Joppa for many days in the house of Simon the Tanner. The ministry of Peter now continues into chapter 10. Acts 10 verse 1. A centurion named Cornelius had a vision in which he saw an angel of God who said to him, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summons a man named Simon Peter. Here's the Holy Spirit working in the background to bring a centurion to ask for the gospel to come. Meanwhile, Peter was praying on a rooftop and received a vision of a sheet containing animals, reptiles and birds, and he was told by God to kill them and eat them. But Peter said, no, Lord, our Jewish laws declare these animals as unclean. I think Peter was pretty brave to say no to the Lord. But Peter knew better than God because he was a good Jew and he understood the law. But God wanted to lift him out of that into something of his might and his glory for all the world. Verse 15, but the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Peter was then told by the Holy Spirit that the messengers from Cornelius had arrived to ask him to come to the house of Cornelius the centurion. And the next day Peter went with them to Caesarea. As Peter entered the home, Cornelius fell at his feet to worship him, but Peter explained that he was just a man like Cornelius himself. And even though he believed that he shouldn't be even entering the house of a Gentile, God had told him that he should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. This is a big awakening for Peter. Cornelius told Peter that God had spoken to him through an angel who directed him to call for Peter to come. And then he said to Peter, Now we're all here, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Please, can we hear you? And Peter replied, I see very clearly 
that God shows no discrimination or favouritism towards anybody regarding nationality or ethnicity, but everywhere on earth he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Peter goes on to say, this is the message of the good news given to the people of Israel, that there is peace with God, irene, oneness, adjoining with God. That's what that word means. Through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And he has ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives, that is, actively takes a hold of forgiveness of sins through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Peter had just heard things come out of his mouth that he had never said before. And he'd never even thought of or believed before about the whole world being opened up to Jesus Christ. In fact, two days before, he had thought and believed just the opposite. And he said no, no to the Lord. But he had now just witnessed the evidence of God reconciling the whole world to himself. So today, what I'm calling this word is God's word or God's work. Both of those apply but specifically, God's work of reconciliation. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Isn't that interesting? And entrusting to us, the message of reconciliation. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Accept this. Embrace it. Peter did not know that work of God as the message of reconciliation and he didn't ever teach about it as that. He knew, he saw what God was doing, but he didn't use that word and he never preached it, never wrote about it. Because that was the revelation that God gave to Paul as the foundational truth of Jesus, bringing oneness with himself to all of humanity. As Paul says, the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, found in Colossians. Now the word reconciliation in the Bible is katalasso, that means a mutual changing of two things to make one new thing. Kata, that means surrounding everything, and lasso, changing. So two things 
come together and they're changed into one new thing. Can apply to many things. But this one is the supernatural miracle of God's act of reconciliation for us, which is that he caused both himself and us, humanity, to experience a change of being. God changed. And we changed. How could God change? God became one of us in Jesus Christ. That's a change. Still the same God, but never revealed this way. Now, as the risen Christ in heaven, truly God and truly man. And he's made us one with him within our hearts to become, as Peter writes, now this is Peter's part, he sees it, partakers of his divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world through sinful desires. So God now presents himself as a new creation through Jesus Christ and invites humanity into divinity through Jesus. Not just bringing Judaism into a place basically of captivity. It's almost like he, ca he captured, kidnapped an entire nation and said, now you do what you're told, here's the law, here's my wisdom, here's my righteousness, and you are going to save yourself from a lot of the corruption that is in the world through wrong, wrongful desires, because you've got me and my word. But he couldn't give them himself within until Jesus came. We're in him, and he is in us. That means we're reconciled. Paul was the only apostle that taught this. As I said, it's not mentioned in the letters of Peter or any of the other apostles. Because Paul was set apart to bring that truth to the world of the non-Jews. The Gentile world had never been taught of the prophetic scriptures and the understanding of the knowledge of God. Never. Humanity in Adam was alienated from the life of God and ignorant of its truth. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that humanity, this carnal person in Adam, was hostile to God and still is in its humanity without Christ, without receiving Christ and this work of reconciliation, is still hostile to God. Paul was sent to proclaim God's remedy for this hostility of ours. God wasn't hostile. We were. People tend to think that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he changed something in God's heart. No, no, no. He changed something in the heart of humanity. A new possibility. God was still God. And so, Paul writes... In, I read in Corinthians before, I'm now reading from Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God 
by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, one thing had to come before the other. There needed to be a reconciled humanity in the earth before people could receive the great salvation that comes through a life yielded to the Lordship of Christ. Salvation is something that we embrace in God, having been reconciled 2,000 years ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, We've concluded this, that one man has died for all of humanity, that is, par, P-A-S, died for all. And all have died with him. And he died for all, so that those who live with him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was resurrected. You see, it's a two-way thing. God's done it for us, but he says, you need to know about it and you need to enter into this to find something happening within that transforms you. Live in it and live for it. Now we get to a tricky part here. While reconciliation is for everyone, without faith, it can get twisted into a weird kind of thing called universalism. Because reconciliation deals with the here and now salvation of our souls in this life. Not just an opinion of who's going to heaven and who isn't. The multitude of opinions regarding the words universalism and predestination, both not mentioned in the Bible, there is predestined, which is not predestination. Predestination is talking about going to heaven or hell. Predestined is being called into a purpose. Universalism isn't in there, but the world is in there, the cosmos. But those opinions regarding those two things dare us to judge people's eternal future. We are warned not to judge in these things. Who are you to say somebody's going to go to hell or go to heaven? When Jesus spoke to the Jewish leaders, he spoke about judgment. He was being judged. Paul wrote and warned us not to judge because Jesus is the one appointed to be the judge of all. So Jesus said to these Jewish leaders, woe upon you, religious leaders, hypocrites, for you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but ignore the weightier things, justice and mercy and faith. See, he saw people religiously operating on the fringe. And that's 
the dangerous territory that you find on the internet and on Facebook and it consumes all the oxygen. There are core foundational truths. We are not to speculate on unfounded fringe issues but to build on a sure foundation of God's saving work of justice and mercy through our faith and our faithfulness. Peter would have read the Old Testament. Paul certainly got all his revelation out of there. Where else was there to go except that Paul said he went to heaven, so he would have got a lot there too. It's probably where he got this doctrine of reconciliation. But in Isaiah, God even says in Isaiah 45, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. That was his big plan. Not just to kidnap a nation for 1,500 years and get them to understand his righteousness so that they can understand they couldn't actually match up to it, but to be given something transformative that joined them to his being as a new creation. And he did it. Reconciliation also reflects Paul's revelation of being chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we'll have a look at some paradoxical things. We were chosen in the last Adam, that's Jesus, before the first Adam started to breathe. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God had rescued us before we even fell. We were found before we were even lost. Uh, this, is the, this is the bigness of Christ. And we also need to know that God holds us to account to not neglect such a great salvation. We had nothing to do with God's work of reconciliation. We had no say in it. He didn't say, humanity, would you please accept my reconciling you to myself? God didn't bother to ask. He just did it. Jesus invaded the world of Adam and did something for us behind our backs that we weren't even aware of. It is only by faith that we can discover that we have been reconciled to God and can obey his word to be reconciled. In other words, we've got to enter into that. And you think, what about everybody else? No. What about you? But what about the rest of the world? I've just told you about the rest of the world. Now that you've become reconciled, guess what Jesus says? You will now become the messengers of reconciliation. <laughs> That's what Peter had a little bit of a problem with. Found that a bit hard. But that was it. All right, so that's us in Christ. Reconciliation was his work. Not ours, but we receive it. And accept it and live it. Sin was Adam's work. And we didn't have any part to play into what Adam did to us either. We weren't there. 
we weren't there with the Bible in our hands saying, be careful, Adam. Don't do this. If you don't do this, we will all have a beautiful life. We weren't there. We just inherited it and trudged along with it. Day after day, year after year, century after century, millennium after millennium. Paul writes again in Romans 5 about this. Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed on to all men, for all have sinned. So what do you do with these two things? God invades and he does things. We don't get a say in it. But we do get a say in how to choose to believe in what he's done. So we had an inheritance in Adam. Mankind had inherited a distorted conscience, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a knowledge limited to our self-centred perspective about what life was all about. That was our life in Adam. And you know what? We didn't need any faith to walk that life. You don't need faith to walk in Adam. You do need faith to walk in reconciliation. But it's been done. Our lack of trust towards God in Adam was too great an obstacle for our hearts to reach God. God had to reach us. By putting away our estrangement from him and our sins and to bring peace and oneness with himself through Jesus, it had to be his work. And it's been done. We now have an inheritance, not just in Adam, we have an inheritance in Jesus, a life in Christ. A life that allows us to live above sin. It allows us. I don't know if anybody's ever ever managed it. I can say categorically that the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, for all of sin. But I do know that Jesus made it. And that's our salvation. So we have a life that allows us to be able to put sin aside for something greater by the grace of God. And we need faith to walk that life. So therefore, what do we need to be told? What's the message that people need to hear? I'll tell you what I believe the Bible is saying here. We need to be told that we're forgiven and no longer separated from God because of the feelings of guilt and shame about our sinful behaviour, which makes us hide from God and cover up in front of each other. We need to have a new mindset. Repentance, metanoia, which means acknowledging the truth of who God is and what he's done and who we are and what we've done and what we can now do in him. That's that's repentance. And that acknowledges that God is not at odds with us and we no longer need to be at odds with him. No more hostility when you know that truth. We're now reconciled. 
Now, I believe that's the good news. There is another version of the good news, which is, and which you do hear being said by Christians to people in the world, you're all sinners and you're going to hell. So repent, stop sinning, because God hates sin. If you don't want to go to hell, repent, receive Jesus into your life, he died for your sins. Then pray, read your Bible and go to church. Is it any wonder that the world has blocked its ears off from the church telling it, you're sinners and you're going to hell? I don't call that good news. I think there's, there's truth in the fact that we're all sinners, but we don't have the privilege of telling people where they're going or not going. We have the privilege of telling people what God has done and that their sins have been forgiven. Would you think you'd get a different response from a person if you wanted to preach the gospel and you said to them, Look, I've known you for a long time and I know you feel guilty about a lot of things you've done, that you've done, but would you like to know something? You've been forgiven. I said, oh, not me. <laughs> no, no. Yes, you have, by God. He's not interested in me. Well, he's made you one with him. Would you like, it's called reconcile, but I can explain that later, but do you know that he wants you to live a life as one with him? He wants to save your soul from all of the grief and pain and anxiety and guilt and shame and all the ways that you've tried to patch that up by your own ways of trying to be good enough or better than somebody else or even to feel not so bad about it by judging how bad everybody else is. Would you like to know that it's all there for you? Would you like to be reconciled? Would you like to understand about the ways of God, let me talk to you. That's on offer. Paul is telling us that our total life experience is to be one of seeing ourselves as being part of the very life of God and an extension of his life into this world. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, he said, become the messengers of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. He's entrusted it to us. We've been committed by Paul in the Lord to have this message. Which means that when we present the gospel, we present forgiveness of sins first and then oneness with God's work of reconciliation and then the saving work of our souls through the life of Jesus within us, through the Holy Spirit, and then the impartation of his life into our world around us. Now this requires a radical new mindset or repentance which does bring about a different kind of life of faith. Read those scriptures. 
look up the word reconciliation and see where it appears. It's all there in Paul, in the word that he uses there, katalasa. In the Gospels, they speak of being reconciled to one another when you're having a, an argument and so on. That's another word. That's two people making up and finding that kind of reconciliation. This is something supernatural that God has given to Paul to give to us a message. So let's just pray. Thank you, Lord, for reconciling us to God. Thank you, Jesus, that that was your mission, to make us one with you as your brothers and sisters and bring us to your Father that as a child of God we have a place with you. You've gone to make a place with us and for us. And we pray that we will be asked by people who don't know you how they might get to know you or understand you or receive hope in this life. Amen. Thank you for your new covenant, Lord, which you did prophesy about, even in the Old Testament, that you'd write your laws into our hearts and in our minds because we've been given a new spirit, a new spirit you would put within us, and you would put your spirit within us, and you would cause us to walk in your ways, as you said in Ezekiel. And that no longer would any man have to teach his brother about God because in some supernatural, wonderful, joining way, you've said, we will all know you from the least to the greatest. How? Well, thank you, Lord. You've planted yourself in us by your spirit to tell us. And you've said, I'll have mercy on your unrighteousness and your sins and your iniquities I'll remember no more. When you make a covenant, Lord, we have to abide by your terms. If we present your covenant, we have to do it faithfully. That honours you as the life giver, the saviour, the judge of all. And it's so humbling to know that there's so little we can do about becoming somehow more saved. You've done the work. We are invited to enter more into it to treasure it above everything else thank you for drawing us closer
accept it is your work. You've said to us that you want to sanctify us totally. In other words, repurpose us, redesignate us. You want to do that, spirit, soul, and body. And he who does this is faithful, and he will surely do it. We submit to that work in us now, being set apart for the purpose you've got, predestined to a purpose. So Lord, as we've, um, as we've accepted that you've done all this work without even asking our permission, we now say thank you, we will receive it and seek to walk in it. Through all these tough times that go on, we can be lifted into something where you reign sovereignly over us and order our ways and our steps. We pray now for the ones that we love, that we would love to see, know you. Give us opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.